Hi, everyone, and welcome to the European Startup Show's Expert Series, where I talk to experts in various areas of interest to entrepreneurs. My guest today is Chris Walker, who's the CEO of Refined Labs and one of the experts in demand generation today. If you're in marketing or demand gen and you're not following him on LinkedIn, you should definitely do that. Chris probably provides more content for free than just about anyone I know. His content is on point, based on experience, not theory, and very actionable. And I'm delighted to have him on the show to shed some light on what entrepreneurs and founders need to know about this very important lever for their business. So welcome, Chris. Anita, great to be here. Thank you for having me on the show. And thank you for the, uh, the intro. That was very humbling. Thank you. <laughs> okay. So, you know, anyone who knows you knows that you like to talk about capturing demand and creating demand. Could you give a quick overview on what you mean by that? And then segue into in the early stages of a startup, when you don't have a lot of money, what should startups be focusing on? Yeah, I love that. So let's make the distinction between capturing demand and creating demand. At any point in a, in a market that is mature, there are a certain amount of people that are looking for that thing. Let's look at the Apple Watch or a smartwatch, for instance. There is a certain amount of people where if you did no marketing, there would be a certain amount of people that wanted a smartwatch because they see other people with them or they have a, a need for it and they go and look for a solution. And so when they go and look for a solution, capture demand is being in the places where they're going to look and then being able to basically convert them. If it's a sales-led motion, you're going to convert that into a lead. And if it's a self-service SaaS, B2B, or even a B2C e-commerce purchase, you're going to convert that into an actual transaction. And so that is the place when we look at capture demand for B2B SaaS, the places that are looking, paid search, um, SEO... G2, Captera, software advice, those types of places, some forms of retargeting, conversion rate optimization on your website, product marketing and messaging on your website, lead handoff optimization if you have a sales-led motion to optimize that process follow-up time and overall buyer experience, which is a part in a lot of B2B SaaS organizations that could use some work. So that is capture demand. Most B2B SaaS organizations will only spend their time there. And they're very much so limiting their upside because there's only a certain amount of people that are going to ever come and look for you. They spend all their time on SEO and they wait for someone to come and find them. And then they try and convert them. The reason they do that is because it's the most measurable to sales. And a lot of executives will think about it that way. Now, creating demand is the secret sauce. It's going out into different channels where people already are and communicating things that help them learn the reasons why your product would be a good idea, the problems that your product solves, things that have nothing to do with your product, but is good information that they can create awareness about you and lead people to subconsciously considering your product because they know about you. That's create new demand. Most companies do not do that because it's difficult to measure. And so they'll use the, the channels that I'm thinking of here, purely social channels, but also events and other things that are traditionally used could be done that way when there's a mindset shift. And so LinkedIn, Facebook and, Facebook and Instagram paid, YouTube, community, a community on Zoom, a community on Slack, live events, virtual events, all those different things, as long as you do not have the intent to convert someone into a weed right that second. So that's the, the huge difference is recognizing that these people are not looking to buy what you do right now and where they are. If they were, they would be somewhere else. And so just lean into that and don't get, get out of sales mode and get into educate, help, brand mode and, and focus there. Now, that is driven in most, the most effective way is through content. If you're going to do an event 
the content really matters. If you're going to make a LinkedIn post, the difference between it being successful or not is the actual content that you put in the channel. And if you're able to create new demand by educating people, more people are aware of your brand, more people are aware of the products that you solve. And then when they come back through capture demand, you have the setup set up and you've also created a lot of brand value that's differentiated you from your competitive set. And so at some point, if you look at any market, there is either a leading brand that is creating demand or there's not. And in the markets where there's not, it's a huge opportunity. For those. So if you're a startup, when you're in your early stages, you haven't raised a ton of money. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's the whole section of hire AEs, hire salespeople or SDRs and, and do the outbound. Mm-hmm. But when you're thinking about creating demand and the digital aspect of it, do you have any advice on where you should be spending time in the create and capture demand cycles you just mentioned? So let's look at my company for an example. We spend almost zero time on capture demand, except for website, conversion rate optimization, and buyer experience. No time in paid search. Very little time in Captera G2 software advice is irrelevant. All those different places, when people are looking, especially for what we do, they're looking for a commodity player. And I'm, we're not interested in being a commodity player and we're not priced like a commodity player. So we're going to lose those deals. And so we spend all our time on creating demand, educating people because we have a unique perspective and a unique differentiated offering. And so for companies that have an innovative product that are looking for early adopters, create demand is where you're going to have to go because nobody's looking for you. Or if they are, they're going to find something that's a commodity player. They're not going to see the value in what, what you do and you're going to lose most of those deals. And so what we did was we focused on organic channels because we didn't raise money and we didn't have a lot of money. We focused on organic content creation. All it took was my time. And then eventually we added a video editor and then eventually we added a brand marketing manager. And now we're using a, an outsource people to help with the podcast. We've added layers of success as we've demonstrated success on those things. Depending on your buyer, I always like to, to clarify that. There, you know, I think this is for the most part universal, but depending on your buyer, LinkedIn and podcast... And then some form of recurring community-based Q&A or something like that are the three places where I would spend my time. All of that content gets recorded and then distributed across those channels with, with formatting that's appropriate to that distribution channel. You mentioned content quite a lot and the importance of content in really creating that demand and making you be the person that's top of mind for these buyers when they're eventually ready to buy. The problem I see in a lot of companies is they think content creation is the department of marketing. And marketing typically, especially in the early stages, they have hired people who are really enthusiastic and want to do well, but they're not necessarily from the buyer's world and don't have that, right? Mm -hmm. And I find the content creation becomes a really big bottleneck and you're either producing very superficial level of content from the marketing team or you've outsourced that. And I was wondering if you could give some examples of how you can do content creation again in those early stages where you don't have a lot of uh, resources and budget at hand. The reason is not because there's not a lot of budget and resources. The reason is because the company doesn't prioritize it. If the company prioritized it, there would be budget and resources of people that are able to create it, but the company doesn't think it's important because they want to do outbound sales. Right? And this is a very clear distinction that I made. We have no people on our sales team. I could have easily, when we had three customers, hired an SDR that booked meetings for me, the meetings that we win, that bring on the wrong customers, that have the lowest retention rates. We could have done that, but we didn't. We created content, which has created a very scalable engine that continues to deliver better and better results with brand in a way that buyers want. 
And so that was the, the choice that we made 18 months ago. Everyone can make that choice for themselves as they continue to do it. But the first step, if you're going to go in that direction, the content is actually the variable of winning, depending on whether you win or lose. So do you want to put that in the yeah. hands of an outsourced agency that has no idea what it's like to be in your buyer's world? Do you want to put that in the hands of a marketing specialist that is young and doesn't have any idea what it's like to be your customer? Then you're not going to have a lot of success, which is why a lot of companies don't see success with content is because they don't consider it important. They don't put the resources and talent and budget required to make it successful. And that is the... That is the the stream. In addition, because of how companies measure marketing, companies will basically force marketing to only get focused on two things, which is blogs for SEO and eBooks, because they've been accepted for the past 20 years and you can have leads attached to them. So that's what people do. And meanwhile, there's millions of dollars of revenue being generated through content distributed on LinkedIn and podcasts, but they'll never touch those channels because of lack of measurement. Additionally, those are the channels where talent really matters. Somebody can go and do research and copy and paste and make a surface level blog that ranks high for SEO that makes no difference to a buyer that's informational and transactional. But when you actually need to go and make have success day in and day out on a platform like a podcast or LinkedIn, you need true subject matter expertise to command the, the attention of the buyer for you know five minutes for a LinkedIn video or an hour and 20 minutes on a podcast. And the truth is that like there's a select amount of people inside of the world that can do that for your customer and you need to have those people on your team. I think what you're saying is the people who are best positioned typically in the company are people who are either involved in the customer success and delivery. So understand the customer's pain problems and how, how this product is solving it, or they could potentially be in the product side of things, building the product because they're from that industry or they understand the requirements. Usually what happens is in early stages, these people are so busy that they don't have time to write content. I think what I'm hearing from you is if you want to get good content, that's really going to make a difference. You need to actually involve those people. And maybe it's a question of getting someone from marketing or outsourced agency to do the writing, but the content, the actual essence of the content comes from the subject matter experts, wherever they are in the company. There's one thing that I would challenge on that. I think it's an interesting point. Just because someone works in customer success does not mean that they're an expert in your customer and can create content. Just because someone works in product does not mean that either. Most often I find that people in product can't do this because they're too obsessed with the okay. product and not obsessed enough about what customers want and need. And so both of those functions start of because of where they come from, actually lean too much into product and not enough into customer centric mindset. Um, so this is somebody you think that needs to be hired from the outside. That's from like the buyer that you're trying to sell. To. I think that's the easiest way to get it done for sure. Having someone that is like your buyer, my content works great for demand generation because I do demand generation every day. It's not like right. I stopped doing it 10 years ago and decided to start talking about it on a podcast. My insights are relevant because I do it every day. Those are some things yeah. like we've had an easy example. We're going to hospitals and we sell the respiratory therapists. For instance, this is just made up story. We sell the respiratory therapists. Hiring someone that was the director of respiratory therapy at a specific company that now helps customers implement. And then is the they can talk to their experience of implementing the product and these things and talk through all of that. That's a great hire. Very few companies will make that hire. And if they do, they will not have them creating the information, which is the most valuable thing they could, they could do. They would rather have them just be out there implementing and impacting one person at once as opposed to creating content that impacts the entire market at once. And that's just because companies think about things in such a transactional way. 
that's a great way of putting it, impacting one person and one customer versus impacting the market when you hire the right person to actually do content creation. The other thing that you mentioned is time. So one of the other pushbacks you hear when you talk about creating this digital demand engine driven by content is, oh my God, that's going to take too long. And how do you balance the short-term needs of pipeline with the long-term strategy of actually building a more scalable and sustainable machine? So first off, the idea that it takes a long time is a misconception. It's a misconception from the world of 2007 SEO, where they basically were trying to just try to push it down the road for as long as possible. And in reality, it was never going to make an impact. It's going to take a long time. And then you get there three years later, and it still hasn't made an impact because it wasn't good. It's not that it doesn't take a long time. It's that people get a little bit confused. And so if you want pipeline right now, go do sales. That's what sales does. Right. I think the main challenge here is that companies think that marketing is here to serve the sales team with pipeline. Marketing is here to create the best path to growth long term while sales fulfills short term needs and captures demand that's created. I think that's an interesting distinction. The the people that think that they need short term results right now for marketing, what they do is marketing does all the wrong things, creates leads that don't become customers, and creates a lot of activity that doesn't matter. A lot of startups listening to this will know that that's exactly what's happening. If you can acknowledge that thinking in short term doesn't work, then it's much easier to just go and think about it in the long term. But it's about having the right mindset. And I think there was a second part of the question that I might have lost there. But no, just about what should you do short term? You're saying the onus is on salespeople to look at the short term needs while marketing is building the long term growth engine. And it's acknowledging that doing short term marketing in a complex B2B sales led motion doesn't get you actual business outcomes. So, what's the right expectations to set? for the CEO in terms of how long it would take or what it would take to build that? Could you give some insights for what the CEO needs to understand about how long it takes and what it takes to create a growth engine on the demand gen side? I think it comes down to how good you are at it. Like we saw impact in 30 days. Some of the customers that work with us see impact in 30 days. Some of the other customers that work with us that get in their own way see impact in six months. The timeline is irrelevant. In my view, it's acknowledging that in order to have a business that's relevant in five years, you need to figure out how to do this. So if you recognize that this is a, a strategy that needs to happen, and that it's a pursuit of getting better and moving forward then it's a little bit different to wrap your head around. Because I, I think people that are listening here, if you have not figured out marketing in seven years from now, you're going to be out of business. Yeah. So you do consulting and demand gen strategy and tactics for a number of different companies. And you just talked about how some people start seeing impact in 30 days. Could you give some examples of what you've done when you go into these engagements, like how do you set up that demand gen engine to start showing results in 30 days or 90 days? I mean, step one in all of our engagements is to change the metrics. And so B2B metrics are marketing metrics are incredibly flawed, built on a combination of predictable revenue and demand waterfall MQL streams that are built for marketing automation. Marketing automation vendors built okay. these systems. How many people can we have download a piece of content that we can push through spam automation that then we can cold call once they're out of that flow is what it's built for. And so marketing gets measured to how many people they put through that system that doesn't work. 
and then at the expense of wasting a lot of sales teams time and marketing dollars and marketing time. And so companies that do not change that top level metric will never have success working with us, which is why we don't work with a lot of enterprise companies because enterprise companies are need to do that because they have 200 SDRs at the bottom that need that those shitty leads to call. So change the metrics that matter, which are what is the highest value conversions that create a great buying experience that help us move the needle and lower customer acquisition costs while continuing to grow the business. And then from there, it goes into like, I guess, team orchestration and training. What content do we need to produce? What is the creative going to look like? What is the schedule that we're going to do? What are we trying to communicate in these pieces? What are the different types of assets? How are they going to be distributed? We handle a lot of the distribution from there. We go through a round of experimentation. We have a bunch of key plays. We figure out which ones are working the best. And then we've identified strategies that are working and we continue to go forward on those with the objective of driving more people th- through a demo form on their own to convert to customers somewhere between 5 and 12%. And so when you recognize that your conversion rate from raw lead to customer is 5 to 12%, as opposed to what you're modeling off right now, which is 0.4%, you need way less leads. In fact, you need about 100 times less leads to hit your same targets, which then empowers you to change how you do marketing because you don't need a ridiculous volume of bad leads. Yeah, again, I think this is really important for people to understand. So I'm just going to make sure I summarize it correctly. What you're saying is that current model incentivizes marketing teams to hold the KPI on MQLs or marketing qualified leads, which is basically if someone downloads an asset created by marketing and from contact addresses is what people are incentivized on, but that gives the wrong incentives. So marketing is doing lots of different things to just capture a lot of different email addresses that have no intention of converting. And what you do when you go into an engagement and what you're advising is go back to who your buyers are, what content do they need, create that type of content, experiment across different distribution channels to figure out which channel is working to make people on their own volition go and ask for a demo request because those are people with an intent in terms of wanting to know your product and so will convert better. Exactly. And when marketing is is driven to acquire contacts by gating ebooks, what they do is yep. they can sh- they get to show these amount of contacts that were created as opposed to being accountable to the impact of the information that then drives people to buy. And so when you take away the contact, the content actually has to make an impact, has to move someone forward. And if you look at gated content, gated content is most often terrible. Sometimes written by an agency that no one knows about. Sometimes it's, you know, proprietary research that's a back-end sales pitch to whatever products they're being sold. Sometimes it's a Gartner report where the vendor pays them to write that report. It's just doing things with the wrong intent, I think. And do you think this applies regardless of whether you have a product that's like a a SaaS product that you can actually buy off the web versus a more of a complex enterprise product? Does your demand strategy that you're recommending work in both cases? Or is that more for a marketing-driven product versus a a complex uh, sales I mean, I would argue that our sales process is quite complex. They're pretty large deal sizes. Companies that are trying to close $200,000 SaaS deals are closing those deals in 9 to 15 months. We're closing those deals in 30 days. And the reason being is because we use a lot of these marketing tactics. Now, the difference between a 200 k deal and a $200 a month deal is different. 
the channels that you you're restricted on lower cost products about what channels you can use, how you're doing it, the amount of volume that you need to actually continue to grow. There's a lot of different dynamics, but the root of the theory is true, which is people need to know things in order to understand why your product can help them. And then you need to give it to them in a way that they consume and understand and makes an impact. And then you need to create affinity for them to come and actually use your product. And then your product needs to actually deliver. There are definitely nuanced differences for sure, but the the root of it is similar. Okay. So if you're looking at creating content, one of the other things that you probably come across all the time in especially B2B sales is there's a number of different people that need to be educated along the way, right? You have the person who's actually making the purchase decision and holds the budget, but then you have somebody who's actually going to be the project manager and implementer. And then you have somebody who probably is the user of the product that you're buying. All three of them have different needs. So when you're talking about content creation, how do you think about it given there you have different personas involved in that buyer journey. To be honest with you, I think this is a made up situation by tech vendors and analyst firms that all of these people need stuff. You give people the right information and they'll figure out how to, to use it and get it done. People have a complete buying process on their own. The people that come and talk to me about working together have already consumed enough information to know what the process looks like. Have already talked to the people on their team. Their people on their team probably follow the information as well. The information that I'm distributing is not targeted differently between the manager and the CMO. I'm proving right now that this idea is untrue. And so it's a really interesting kind of perspective because what I do is I enable buyers to go through their journey on their own without me. And then they can come and find me when they need me. And what most companies will do was they will hold that information and force a buyer in order to get that information to go and talk to their sales rep. And what happens is a lot of people don't actually do that because they don't have enough interest to do it. And so I think this methodology is actually backwards. Maybe I'll give you one scenario. So I worked for a company which used to create a product that was used by financial advisors And the financial advisors use their tools to engage on digital channels like social and text, et cetera. (laughs) The person actually using it was a financial advisor, but we typically sold it either to head of sales, head of marketing, or sometimes to the head of compliance because this company ensured that all the compliance rule that the FCA in the US or the FINRA in the UK would want is baked into the product. In that case, I feel like there is two different messaging. Like the reason the compliance person wants is because they don't want the company to be fined. Compliant just wants to check the box, right? Put it on your website. It's compliant. That's all you need, right? Like there is no marketing stream that's needed to try and convince this person that because it's compliant, it's the right solution for their business. It is a box checking exercise in my view. I understand that there's a different buyer. Their needs need to be satisfied by the product and then just satisfy that need, right? I don't see as a a different marketing methodology required for that. It's also thinking about things in a different way than an end user. Like our content spans a ton of different users. Oftentimes people that would never buy this stuff, but the SDR that sees my post that says, hey, that's a better way for me to do SDRs. I'm going to tell my sales manager, the sales manager sees it, they follow my content, they like it, they pass it to the CMO. We get access to the CMO with pre-sales buy-in is a win. I think it's become very overcomplicated and systemized in a way that makes it inauthentic. I come across a lot of startups that start off by serving the SMB market. And then there comes an inflection point where they have to 
go after more enterprises. And so they are like trying to figure out from a demand gen perspective, how do they balance the need for keeping the short-term revenues from the SMB market coming and also at the same time start attacking the enterprise market? Do you have any advice on demand generation strategy when you have to go from SMB to enterprise? One, your product needs to be ready. I know plenty of companies that think they're ready to go and target enterprise and their product sucks. You know, before you do that, unless you're ready to just go and lose a bunch of times against a competitor that is ready, your product needs to be ready. I know that your investors are pushing you to do it today, but you need to take a hard look about whether or not the product is ready. That's step one. The second one is acknowledging that you need a completely different go-to-market motion between SMB, mid-market, and enterprise. And so most companies are not prepared to set up the pieces that are needed in different segments. So they try and push everyone through the same thing. And the SMB marketing model that you're doing right now based on SEO and inbound is not going to give you the enterprise results that you want. So would you typically, if you were working for a company that had an SMB and an enterprise, have like two separate funnels? What's just the line on what you mean by funnel? From marketing or the whole thing? For marketing. You just you need different programs. You need to use different channels. You need to do things in different ways. You have different buyers that have different complexities. And so it's the whole thing needs to be rethought. The idea that every, you know, you're gonna get the same amount of volume of leads from ten thousand employee plus accounts as you are from your fifth below fifty employees is just not real. But I guess my question is if the company is doing SMB, right? They're a small company. They don't have like unlimited resources. Their product is ready and they can now start going to enterprises. What does the demand gen model need to look like to support that company strategy? When I think about enterprise, I think about uh, long form organic content, I think is the most effective. Okay. And so I would start a podcast, a virtual event series and have LinkedIn content that's the best in my industry. And I would run on that. And I would have the content that helps enterprise mid-market buyers based on their problems, which is completely different content than you would create for an SMB model. The reason that a lot of like a lot of companies pretend like let's get an analyst, let's have SDRs that do research when we do outreach and we can create content for them. The problem is that the content isn't good. So in order for this to work, you need to have somebody that can speak to what that buyer is like. And the idea that you have, whatever you're selling to a CFO at a Fortune 500, how are you going to get that person to listen to your 30-minute podcast? It is really hard. The information has to be really good. So companies will, instead of trying to figure that out, they'll back out and do the stuff that they've been doing before and have an SDR farm that cold calls that person and annoys them all day. Yeah. So for enterprise, what you've seen work really well is good quality, long-form content distributed through LinkedIn. LinkedIn podcast, virtual events, and hopefully physical events soon. I think any of those things can work. We've watched companies do it. Drift did a really great job on it. Terminus did a really great job on it. Gong is in the process of doing it right now. Why is this only secluded to sales and marketing vendors? I don't know. And so like the model has been proven. What about SMB? What have you seen to work for the SMB market? I think it's almost the same, right? Like you can do long form organic and you should do that. You should have an organic and a paid strategy for both. And you should, you could do long form organic. And I think the community based approach to SMB with a high volume would be a really strong thing. 
having a live Zoom with 300 SMBs and going through something, how to do blah, 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 which by the way, our product does, I think would be really interesting. And you need a paid model for SMB velocity sales, like paid product marketing across Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, depending on the cost of your product is probably one of the best things that you could do. Okay. And I know that you've got some good advice on when to use LinkedIn versus Facebook, depending on the price point of your product. Could you maybe elaborate a little bit more on that? Yeah. So there's a lot of factors here. And I, uh, I want people to think because a lot of executives will look at this and think it's an either or. That's not the case. We use them in two very different ways. If the product costs less than 20K a year, it's going to be really hard to make LinkedIn work for you. I don't care that you're paying $300 a lead. You're going to win them at 0.1%. And so do the math on that. If you remove the idea of cost per lead and you look at a customer acquisition cost, it's going to make it hard to make that channel work when you think you have to pay your salesperson 20%. You have SDR resources following up with 999 leads that don't close. And so when you look at the entire system, it's not a very profitable or financially attractive model. Right. And so that's why LinkedIn is out in those cases. Let's say you have a product that's more. We use LinkedIn for narrow targeted approaches to mainly higher seniority decision makers. If we think that we're selling to the CFO, I'm going to go CFO, VP finance, director of finance, controller, director of accounting. And I'm going to have that kind of like buyer segment at the director level plus inside of LinkedIn targeted based on the companies that we can sell to. If it's 200 employees to and above, or if it's 200 to 500 employees or whatever your segment is, you can get all those things on LinkedIn. On Facebook, we use it for a combination of scale. There are way more people that use Facebook and Instagram every day than LinkedIn. A lot of people that are also at the manager or other levels, I believe that CFOs use Facebook and we're proving that it works right now. Because the cost of the ad product is so much lower, you can afford inefficiencies of scale of hitting managers or specialists or people that may not be irrelevant. So one, scale driven through cost and attention. And the second one is that Facebook's machine learning algorithm about figuring out who to target is incredible. Dramatically different than LinkedIn and not using that, you're missing a lot of upside. They know their pixels installed on every single website. They have data on every single person from that platform across how they use the web, how they use the internet and when people do certain things, when they're most likely to buy. And so we let that algorithm run very hard. Those are the mm-hmm. reasons that we use Facebook and we use it in a quite a different way than we would use LinkedIn. We don't use expansion algorithms. We don't use audience network on LinkedIn because you're already paying a lot of money for the targeting. Got it. So the really the price point determines your strategy. On it determines whether or not you can use LinkedIn. Got it. Do you also work with high growth companies that are not the early stages where they're trying to set up their demand engine and get it going, but they've already reached 50 million in revenues. And now they're trying to go to hundred million in revenues. Obviously they're already doing something right. If they're getting their demand engine to be cranking that kind of revenue, let's say they're not just using sales led model, but they're actually using digital marketing and they're doing 50 million in revenues and the digital engine is working, what do they need to do to double that to a hundred million? Is it just pumping a lot more money into what's working in those current channels or would you look at things differently? I think it's a, it's the wrong assumption to say because they're 50 million, their marketing's working because I go into a lot of companies where it's not. The problem is that it's not that the marketing is not driving the growth Sales has been driving the growth as well as the success of the product in the market. And at some point, there becomes a level of inefficiencies inside of that system that does not scale anymore, which is why people hire us. 
because if you only win 0.1% of your leads, you need all of these people. And eventually the system becomes so large and you have so many management layers that it doesn't work anymore because it becomes too financially expensive. And so we think that our best customers are 30 to 100 million ARR because you can get to 30 million doing these things. And because the numbers are relatively low to continue at a 30% or more growth rate, you can get away with a lot of inefficiencies. And then over time, it gets more and more expensive to continue to hit that growth rate. And the system breaks because you can't raise enough money to continue to grow at the same rate. And growth rate becomes a huge lever on valuation. That is where we come in because every $50 million company for the most part is running MQL model into an ebook download to SDRs. And some companies can raise enough money to ignore it and other companies can't. Yeah. And again, you're going to go and tell them to change their metric, not to look at MQL. The first thing is looking at the data and just showing them, this is what you're doing right now. This is how much it costs. And this is what you're getting out of it. What data would you look at? How many opportunities? What was the cost per opportunity? It's going to be bad. What was the customer acquisition cost? How many customers did we get? How much did we spend? What was the the CAC payback on that? And those numbers are going to be atrocious. And when you look at the whole system, they're like, maybe getting 10,000 leads a month isn't the best thing. And so the first step is show them that. And they're they're a lot more amenable to changing their strategy because they see how bad what's working right now is. And it's honestly, it's a combination of surprising and sad that companies don't look at that themselves, that they have this massive system running and have no idea how badly it's working and how negative it's impacting their business. Why is that? Is that because there isn't a marketing ops person? The sad thing is that when I interact with marketing ops, sales ops, rev ops, these people work in those companies and they know how bad it's working and nobody in the executive team listens to them. Every single rev ops person knows how shitty their ebook downloads are converting because they're in it every day. And so it's not that they don't have that person. It's because the executive team has been brainwashed or has been ignorant to the changes about how buyers have bought in. And I have a lot of empathy for that. I understand. But wash, rinse, repeat the same thing you did in 2001, 20 years later is probably not going to get you the same results as it did then. So what's the new metric you would tell them to focus on if it's not MQL? So you show them all this data, you show them it's not working. And then what? I think centering on number of qualified opportunities sourced through a website and the cost of those opportunities is a great leading metric. Anything that you look later funnel, like I would love to get to customer acquisition, but with companies with 180 day sales cycle, you're not going to get there very quickly. And so anything later funnel, then like they went through band with an SDR, anything further than that, a sales rep has talked to them, has done a discovery, gone through a demo. Any of your garbage leads aren't going to get that far. If you center on something like that, it will expose how badly some of the marketing that you're doing right now focused on contact acquisition is actually performing. So you look at the opportunity and the cost of opportunity created that came from the website. Yeah, I think that's a great way to look at. And then what are some of the strategies you've seen be successful to take this 50 million company to 100 million? change the metrics, have a different demand strategy based on the segments that you're targeting, consistently iterate on your messaging and your targeting and your lead handoff and your customer experience. People at that size company know that this doesn't happen overnight, that it is a consistent pursuit of incremental improvements. And so it's all the things that we had talked about before, but it starts with your metrics and your mindset. And then once you change those, you think about talent and strategy. Now, one of the things that you probably are very aware of is a lot of companies are focused on product-led growth motions. 
in GTM and there's a lot of hype around product led. Sure is. And how do you see the product led growth motion against the classical demand gen model? Yeah. I mean, most companies that have a product led motion also have a sales motion, right? So I don't think this is an either or. I think a lot of people that are not educated on the subject think it is an either or that if you move to product led, you fire your whole sales team, which is not the way the world works. So the first thing that I want to call out here is is product-led is more buyer-centric. It much more closely mirrors a e-commerce type of purchase where the buyer can do everything on their own. It forces a lot more um, accountability to marketing to driving that outcome. The reason that companies have done this is because their sales-led process has been so bad because it's so not customer-centric. So if you look at why this happened, it was because the stuff they're doing right now is so broken. And so this obviously offers a better alternative. I'm seeing the exact same thing that you would see in a sales-led motion happening in product-led, which is that companies optimize for sign-up, not for paying user. And so they'll, they'll spend a ton of money jamming people through their sign-up form and get 7,000 of those a month and spend $300,000 in order to get that and send that to their investors and get six customers out of it to pay them $2,000 a year. And it's a complete waste of money. But again, there's misaligned incentives at the VC board executive level. What are some common mistakes you've seen companies make both in their early stage as well as when they're big companies when it comes to demand gen? I think if we look at marketing and not business overall, a lack of marketing fundamentals is number one. And so not understanding your customers, which then drives improper messaging, wrong mindsets, bad metrics, a lot of those different things. Lack of marketing fundamentals is the root of a lot of problems that we see in B2B marketing today. So that's one. Over-reliance on technology, which oftentimes forces you or restricts you from doing things that work better. People that rely on marketing automation systems to run people through forms, to ebook downloads, to market to automated nurtures. The reason they do that is because HubSpot and others taught them to do that. And so I don't do a lot of those things because I think about it from the buyer's perspective, not get brainwashed by tech vendors. And then once I find something that's working, I insert tech to make it work better. Mm -hmm. People do it the reverse. I found that Facebook ads were working in 2015. I added technology in 2019 to make the targeting better once that technology was available. I've added custom attribution this year. If Facebook ads didn't work at the beginning, there would be no sense in adding those different things. And most people wouldn't try Facebook at all. I think that technology actually has been preceding strategy, which is a real problem, or you are just buying into whatever strategy that vendor is telling you, which then moves you into the product. Like conversational marketing chatbots is another one. Like putting a chatbot on your website over a form is not going to move the needle for your business. It's just moving people from converting on a form, which is easy to converting on a chatbot, which is usually hard. The thing that you actually need to fix is your lead follow-up process, which is the thing that's actually busted. The lead form, can you explain that? Like what's busted? When somebody fills out a form on your website and says, I would like to talk to one of your sales reps and you send them to your most yep. junior sales rep, your SDR that's been there for three weeks with no training, has no idea what it's like to be a customer, can't show them the product, ask them a bunch of generic questions. That's a problem. Yep. And so the follow-up process is what's broken. Whether it's taking too long, but most often what I find is it doesn't take that long. Companies have set it up where it's, we can follow up in five minutes. The problem is the person that's following up sucks. <laughs> you know what I mean? What about hiring? Should CEOs and founders, when they're looking to hire their VP of marketing, their senior hire, make sure that this person has 
demand you an expertise because obviously there are a lot of VPs that come strong either in communications or they come strong in product marketing. It's rare to find someone that's done all three. Do you have any advice on what founders and CEOs should look for in that early senior hire? And also, what should their expectation of a new VP of marketing be in terms of what they can deliver in their first 30, 60, and 90 days? So when you look at CMO competencies that I would look at, it's brand product and demand. Those are the three main categories. Then you can roll up into subcategories and field marketing under demand or whatever you want to do. I actually believe that demand is the least important to have in your CMO. It's going to surprise people that I say that. The reason being is because demand is actually the most easily outsourceable. The things that I look at in a CMO is, can you get to fundamentals? Can you understand your customers? Can you message it appropriately? Can you position a product? Can you create a category? None of those things need to be demand. If you do all of those things right, and you find a partner or an internal employee that can run demand and actually get that message out and communicate it and measure it, I think that's the ideal setup in a CMO. You can't outsource customer research. You got to do it yourself. Because you need the insights yep. over and over and over again. And in every decision that you make, you can't just get a market research firm to do it once and use those insights for the next six years. You need those things. And if you do, and I've done this before with a Series A company, multiple of them, to be honest, if you go and do demand and you don't have product marketing and brand messaging figured out and positioning, the demand isn't going to work as well. I think that's the ideal profile of a company that has clear product market fit and traction in the market. In the, in the Series A company, you do whatever you want. Most likely, you're going to hire a senior growth marketer that gets you a bunch of leads. And what should the CEO expect of a VP marketing hire in their first 30, 60, and 90 days? Yeah. Let's talk about what they actually expect versus what I would expect. What they actually expect is 10 million leads a new website, yeah. you know, <laughs> that they've most likely have changed, somehow changed their team, whether they've let a couple of people go or hired people or things like that. Those are the things that people are looking for. Light up a dashboard with stuff that doesn't matter to remind me of why I hired you. What I want to see is get entrenched with your customers where your customers feel like you're part of their community. And if you did that in the first 60 days, I think that is a win because most people don't. Customer intimacy is the advantage right now. I don't know how people don't recognize this. That's what I would expect. And I would expect forward progress on understanding customer research, messaging the product, being ready to start if needed, redevelop, redesign the website to launch that new category messaging, whatever you're doing, building and developing a core set of talent. It's not a blanket statement, but I would get a subject matter expert there on my team. No company hires for that. I have no idea why no marketing team hires for that. Of the 50 people they have on their marketing team, why they don't have one person that is like their customer. So those are some of the things that I would want to do. And then you got to have this, you got to have the wheels turning on, on the right activities to build a demand system. Got it. I think we'll end on that note. Chris, thank you so much for all the wisdom and information. I think this is a very critical area for all high growth companies and it's an area that people struggle with. So I hope that some of your insights and your you know, advice uh, resonates and helps companies. Yeah, we are just for people that are going to close out. We are not going backwards. The importance of marketing will only grow. The importance of marketing relative to your sales performance will only grow. So I would highly recommend the best day to figure this out is today. Love it. Thank you very much. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review. I don't charge guests to be on the show and your ratings and review help the show stay alive. Thank you very much for listening. And until next time, keep building. Keep building.